Hello and welcome to Group Chat, the Ringer's weekly NBA group discussion where we, like the Houston Rockets, are always willing to get uncomfortable. I am Justin Verrier and joining me today, Jonathan Sharks. That was your best intro yet, I think. That was really timely. Uh, what a compliment. I, I appreciate that. Uh, Rob? Justin, there's... Justin, there's no, <laughs> there's, uh, there's no easy way for us to tell you this, but Justin, you've been traded to the Brooklyn Nets. I feel like I would do well there. Uh, I don't need the ball. You know, I'm a real team chemistry guy, as you guys know. Uh, another team chemistry guy who we have on today's episode, he is a man amongst bloggers, especially on this podcast, Jake Hall Mann. What's up, man? Uh, what's going on? A lot of layers to that. You did a pun. Um, also, you know, not much of a team player. I'm kind of more of a clear out guy, to be honest. So there's some <laughs> irony there. But yeah. listen, I, I feel like 730 in the morning is really where we shine uh, on the NBA talk. But we have a lot to talk about here. So perhaps that has something to do with it, too. Uh, so the first half of the podcast, we're going to talk about some trade rumors and uh, stuff going on right before the draft. Uh, some weird trade talk between the Rockets and the Wizards. Uh, Gordon Hayward's future, etc. And then in the second half of the episode, we recorded this actually yesterday on Tuesday afternoon. That's going to be our final draft preview. Uh, so we'll be back first with some trade rumors after this. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. I gotta say, Sharks, you seem ready for draft night. It seems like you just stepped out of a Tom Landry huddle here. (laughs) uh, Real Texas Forever vibes, and I I gotta say, I appreciate it. Why are you eating brisket? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the morning snack here. Um, Let's start here, guys. So I remember probably a decade ago now, you have this conversation constantly in the NBA, like who is the, tr- the contract you just cannot trade, right? And for a while, it was Gilbert Arenas. He literally brought guns into the locker room in Washington, D.C., which becomes more wild by the year, by the day. 
Uh, he also had gone through major knee surgery. I believe he had been robbed of like two seasons before the gun incident robbed him of pretty much the sec- uh, second half of another season. And he was due $60 million. And yet the Orlando Magic still traded for him. After that, I will never believe that no one can be traded, which brings me to today's top rumor, which is Russell Westbrook, according to Sham Sharania, uh, for John Wall, his specific verbiage, which is really important during this time of year, is they have discussed deal the two teams, no traction yet. Rockets are seeking more assets, which, sure. Um, Kyle, what the fuck? <laughs> this is where we should start. <laughs> Well, I was joking with Rob last night. I was like, this at surface level feels like spinning tires. I said, or maybe pop tires. And then Rob said, actually, this sounds like total tire recall back to the factory. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, money-wise, yeah, Wall just started his his deal. I mean, he's going to be making, he's, Wall's 30, just turned 30, I think, and set to make 38 this year, 40 next year, 43.8, 46.8 in 22-23. And Westbrook, uh, arguably worse, but I, I think more the character of the players, I think, is why you could argue maybe that you'd want to keep Wall around as opposed to Westbrook. But I just kind of have a rule with Westbrook. I don't know if you guys watch The Simpsons. Did you guys watch The mm-hmm. Simpsons growing up? Homer had this thing where he would reach into his jacket pocket and he had this card in his pocket that said, don't do anything the boy says. Now, if he's talking about <laughs> Bart. If I was a GM, I would keep a card in my pocket that says don't trade for Russell Westbrook under any circumstances. <laughs> um, I just, I, I don't know. I don't really see how this even makes much of a difference in the short term because like, uh, you know, KOC made a big point about this the other day with Charlotte. It's like, Russell is a guy who's going to be, you know, he's exciting, yada, yada, yada. He could help you, you know, maybe squeak into the A spot in the East possibly. But uh, I don't know. I just don't really see much of an advantage or a reason to do this, maybe then to keep Bradley Beal happy. But would it really? Yeah, my question, Sharks, to you is who would lose this trade the most? Maybe they'd both win. Like, why not look at the upside here? Like, wow. What, what both sharks, teams are it. doing isn't working, right? I think it's pretty clear Bradley Beal and John Wall have kind of run their course. And my first thought was, I know, like, I'll go back to, like, Mavs history for this one. There was a point when it was, like, Dirk Nowitzki and Michael Finley, and it became Dirk's team. And Finley had to go somewhere else because it's hard to take a step back on your own team, right? So now that it's Bradley Beal's team, John Wall probably makes more sense somewhere else to make that transition. And if you're Houston, John Wall's more of a pass-first guy than Westbrook if you're rebuilding. So Wall makes more sense moving the ball. If you're Washington, this is a last-ditch attempt to be good with Bradley Beal. Presumably, Beal says yes to doing this deal. I don't know if like it makes that much of a difference, but Beal and Westbrook should win some games in the regular season, right? Like it's more exciting. They've done Beal and Wall a million times. That's never gone anywhere. Well, I mean, we've been batting around Russell Westbrook rumors about the Knicks, about the Hornets. Where could he possibly go? The Magic is John Wall the best, the theoretically best player that you could get in a Russell Westbrook trade. Like, can you get a better concept of a player? in return if you're Houston. I mean, maybe Blake Griffin was the only other guy who came to mind. But again, both of those guys have significant issues in terms of injury, in terms of their histories that you're dealing with. I could see how you're talking yourself into it from Houston's perspective a little bit, but mostly this trade makes me feel numb and I want to go home. <laughs> yeah. I, my question is, do you want to take the ball out of Bradley Beal's hands? 
because for Houston, I get the motivation maybe to just shake things up. And but for the same reasons you would maybe prefer Wall next to Beal are the same reasons why I might prefer Wall next to Harden. Just because like if if you have Harden and Beal to handle the ball and do some stuff, Wall in theory could maybe hit a three sometimes. At the very least, he's been talking about it while he's like been hobbling around on crutches. Like, oh, I could shoot threes now. And uh KOC did a big feature a couple months ago where like they seem committed to figuring that out. And Wall, at the very least, said the right things to be like, you know, I'm, I'm, it's Beal's show. I'm going to try to learn how to play off him, yada, yada. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I might prefer Wall with the caveat that I don't know how healthy he is, but Wall, in theory, with this mindset than Russell Westbrook, which seems bleak for all parties involved. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, it's, it's one of those things where Westbrook is a better player than John Wall. Like, that is objectively true. And yet, so many teams, I think, would be in the position that you just laid out, Justin, which is, I'd still kind of rather have Wall in this situation or that situation to accomplish, you know, because we want Brad Beal to have the ball in his hands, because we want to grow these other young players, whatever it is, Russ just is a complication unto himself. And, I, you know, how you balance that with what Sharks was saying in terms of changing the internal dynamics of a team that already had a previously middlingly successful natural order in terms of this kind of being Wall's deal before. And now Brad has just become on a totally different player in terms of, you know, the the stratosphere he's been able to reach. I don't know how you juggle those things if you're the Wizards. I'm, I'm not envious to be in their position. It does, like, it feels like a very, very high, or maybe not even a high-class version of the trade where they, it was like, was it um Biombo for Mozgov? They both had these really ridiculous contracts. They're like, let's just trade them. Why not? Right? Like, these the deals expire at the same time. There's no financial hit. What's working now isn't, what's doing now isn't working. So to quote the great Russell Westbrook, hashtag why not? <laughs> it is wild that Russ, like he did have at the very least a good second half of the regular season before the break. And it seems like we were, were resigned given all the discussions that we had. Like, I mean, I guess if you're at, the point where the Charlotte Hornets might not want you that it gets pretty dire, but we're at the point where we're pretty much saying like, where could he ever go? Like, could he ever play for another situation? Like, like I, I think this is like signaling like some pretty bad stuff for Russell Westbrook. And I do wonder what the second half of this contract, I think it's actually even more than that will look like for him. I mean, he's healthier than Wall, right? That we can, because Wall's coming off an Achilles. So, like, at the very least, you're trading for a guy you know is going to play and play at a pretty high level, whereas Wall's a complete wild card because he has not played in a year and a half now. Yeah, it's a big it's a big question mark because, I mean, a lot of what Wall has built his game on is that sort of explosiveness, that kind of incendiary transition presence. But I... And and for a guy who's torn his Achilles that depends a lot on speed and, you know, his shooting has never been something that that you really want to just uh, bet the farm on. It's his evolution as a player is in the next few years. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like I, I wouldn't do it uh, because also another thing to consider is that every time that we put Russell Westbrook in a situation where we're like, hey water these plants of these you know he's he's really just he's never demonstrated that he's willing to play another way and you know like stubbornness is sort of one of the the masthead words that kind of come along with russell westbrook and i think we'd kind of be naive to expect anything different honestly 
Meanwhile, Tim McMahon also has a report that the Rockets are willing to get uncomfortable rather than trade Russ or Harden. I feel like that's like the typical sports movie moment where someone bursts into the locker room and like something happens and they say, this is going to get uncomfortable. And then Coach Charks turns around, he adjusts his Texas Forever hat and he goes, we're willing to get uncomfortable. <laughs> is, is this the movie about multiple superstar players trying to force their way off the team via trade? Yeah, a real Disney uplifting movie. Yeah. yeah, are the are the Rockets actually a Sasha Baron Cohen movie? Is that what's going on? They're just willing to, for, the, for the for the bit. They're willing to get uncomfortable, and that's kind of what they just revealed that to us. I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah, they also traded Robert Covington in the midst of all of this, so it seems like there's some weird dissonance going on where they're projecting strength and they're going to hold the line, and yet they traded away pretty key player to at least what they did last season toward the back end. So I'm a little confused. I mean, trading Robert Covington in my world is a cry for help or at least a kind of whimper for a team that has kind of, at least it seems, has run its course in terms of the Stars' interest in being there and what they were. I, I, I don't see how they just pick up the pieces and move on other than to say, you don't need to trade James Harden right now because he has two years under contract. You're really not forced to do that, so you should play that out as long as you need to to get whatever assets you need to get in return. If if he is indeed pushing as hard as the reports say he is, yeah, I mean, what else are you gonna say, right? Like, oh, we don't want to, we want to trade him immediately. Like, you might as well put that out there <laughs> if you don't believe it. Well, no one really holds out in the NBA, and so I don't know what the repercussions really are. It's just that like Stephen Silas is just gonna have a bunch of bad days. Like, I don't know if it's, it's the difference between just like someone who's going to draw eyeballs and make my franchise relevant versus just go into this rebuild where we don't really know what we're doing. We might not get much of in way of a trade package, especially if Walt, like Harden puts his foot down and says, I only want to go to Brooklyn and Brooklyn's like, hey, he's not going anywhere else. So we're not going to give you much. So this is looking pretty bad for Houston. So my question, my question was with that, if he is going to Brooklyn, wouldn't you want to make the trade soon so you can flip all those guys again, right? If you're going to get Levert, Dinwiddie, and Allen, you could probably get a first for all those guys, right, in the market once you had them. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't you want to make the trade now and flip right away, start flipping Dinwiddie for a first-round pick, Levert for one or two, Allen for one? You, you wouldn't hold on to someone like Allen or someone like Levert? I mean, why not get more picks for him if you're starting over anyways? Those guys in their mid-20s, got to pay them a lot of money really soon. Where are you really going with them regardless? Yeah, as a core, I don't know that I would want to keep them as like, okay, now we're moving forward. I think that thinking makes more sense. Like, I mean, Levert probably, I mean, Levert's, he's like 27, isn't he? He's older than you think he is. I feel like mm-hmm. he's, I'd have to look. But I, yeah, I feel like that that makes a lot of sense because those guys all, you know, alone could go to teams that uh, that need some extra help and, and be really beneficial, I think. But as a core together, I don't know that it'd be something that I would want to, you know, keep and say, this is what we're building around going forward. Yeah, Levert is twenty six. By the way, um, Swish. Yeah, it's always it's always fun. <laughs> it's always <laughs> funny when these trades happen, and the team getting the star is always like, "Here, here's this core of a crappy team. It didn't work for us, but have fun with this." Like the Pelicans basically have the guts of a bad Lakers team, and it has worked sort of. Like Brandon Ingram has shown a little bit, but. Well, and they formerly had the guts of a bad Clippers team with the the Chris Paul trade too. So they're just they're just collecting toys over there, right? Although the Clippers may do with the guts of a bad Rockets team, so perhaps there is a silver lining here. 
Um, I mean, that would be my problem, though, if we're looking at that Brooklyn package. It's just, what is the best asset there? Like, let's assume that Brooklyn doesn't drag its feet and they pay a reasonable price. Like, the market is really just like, at this point, and it was exacerbated by what Milwaukee did with Drew Holiday. It's like, it's a lot of stuff. And so... You would think that like they're getting unprotected picks back, but well, that's I don't see know. that's what I'm saying, right? If you get your five first round picks and you get Levert, Dinwiddie, and Allen, I bet all those guys get you a first round pick. So now you have eight first round picks. That's something to start with. Start messing around, getting some young guys in there. You know what it, sh- it reminds me of? One of those Russell Westbrook teams where like it was after Kevin Durant left and before he went to the Rockets, where it's just Russell Westbrook and some dudes and he'll maybe get some guys open. Maybe he'll take 40 shots. That seems like the inevitable future for that franchise. Hey, John Wall and some dudes. Catch <laughs> up, Wall. There you go. All right. Let's um let's move on to young Gordo here. So uh Gordon Hayward seems like something is brewing here. Uh Chris Haynes has a report that the Atlanta Hawks are in play in an attempt to acquire Boston Celtics forward Gordon Hayward. Uh, Sign and trade deal is possible, but Atlanta can simply sign Hayward. So pretty much the thing that signaled that something could be happening is uh, Hayward's deadline to either opt in or out of his player option. Uh, He and the Celtics agreed to push that back to Thursday. So to me, that signals one or two things that the Celtics are saying to Gordon, like, please let us try to get something out of this and like try to rope you into a trade, or maybe they get a trade exception uh, out of this. Or the Hawks, which seems like the most likely destination for Hayward, though we could talk about that, basically want to exa- exhaust their options on draft night. If they don't do something Wednesday, then Thursday, all of a sudden, all of a sudden Gordon gets his deal. Um, Rob, what did what stands out to you just about this whole situation? I'm kind of trying to puzzle out what the Celtics are after. And it, it's hard to separate, you know, the reports that are out there from Mark Stein about the Celtics trying to get in the top three from this Hayward stuff, you know, knowing that the Hawks have the sixth pick. Is there a three-way deal that kind of makes sense that can serve all parties involved here? But I also don't really see what's in it for the Hawks. Other, unless they're getting significant compensation in addition to Hayward. Because as we've said, he's a guy they can just go out and sign in free agency. He can opt out of his deal, which makes me think there must be at least some other assets coming their way if if this is going to be an actual trade. I, otherwise, I just don't see what's in it for them. See, my thought for Boston, I feel like they almost have to do something. If you just look at their roster, right? So you have Tatum and Brown on the wings. I think Marcus Smart is the point now where he has to start, right? If you're Marcus Smart, I'm first team all defense. My shot's gotten better. I'm the leader of this team. Like, I'm not going back to the bench for Gordon Hayward, who's always hurt anyways. No one really likes in the team. That's not happening. And if you're Gordon Hayward, you're about to be a free agent again. You're not really part of this team anymore. They're going to have you come off the bench. Your role's already been declined. It kind of makes sense to just move on for both parties, I feel like. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, you think the the emergence of... I mean, I guess the the original vision was just in the timeline sort of shifted because Tatum was ahead of schedule a little bit there. I mean, he had a little bit of a lapse in year two, but I would I think we could all agree that he's he's where we thought he would be, and that sort of affected you know Gordon's role on the team. And yeah, I, I think in terms of their ceiling, they they could conceivably get the things that they need to level up. Uh, I guess now it's kind of about like Miami competing with Miami at the top now, just figuring out how you can beat those teams at the top and be flexible enough to beat them in a series. And 
I think Hayward could provide enough for teams to to flip him for you know the things that you need to do that. It definitely seems like the Celtics are scrambling. Like there are loose rumors. I don't know how verifiable they are. Just about that they want they want to get into the Drew Holiday mix. Um, so this if they do lose Hayward for nothing, if he just walks in free agency, that's a pretty big loss because I, I don't think they could really add anything of significance just considering the way their cap is structured. And it's particularly probably deflating just considering all the other teams in the East are are loading up around them. The Bucks, the, the Sixers, just like. Uh, just got all the demons out <laughs> when they made some front office changes. So definitely going to be at a disadvantage. But for the Hawks, I mean, we talked about this with Nate Duncan and we've kind of talked around it a little bit. I love that fit in Atlanta. I just think Gordon needs probably a change of scenery and he needs probably someone who is willing to give him the sort of elevated role that maybe he isn't getting in Boston anymore and wouldn't get in Boston anymore. And just think, like, what do you need in Atlanta? You need a, a secondary playmaker. You probably need someone... Uh, who could swing between three and four, who's a little bit more farther along than DeAndre Hunter and maybe uh, John Collins, who I remembered who he was and not John uh, Jason Collins. See, I can't even get it straight. But I, I, I don't know. I just I love that fit. If he is Gordon Hayward in the ideal and not the guy that we've seen just on and off the past two years, that that's a home run move for the Hawks, I think. I would say that becomes, does he want to go to Atlanta is probably the question then, right? Can Atlanta sell Hayward on their vision? Or does he say, ah, y'all been bad forever. Let me go somewhere that's actually good. Well, where is that? I think that's the question. If it isn't Atlanta, is there a natural destination for him? Well, you know where he's from, Justin. They always like bring guys home to Indiana. That's been is out there Texas? for a long time. It's not they Texas. seem excited about... Uh... He's from Indiana. Yeah, he's, Butler. Yeah, he's from Indiana. I mean, for the Hawks, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense because you're adding a lot of wrinkles. I mean, he's a proven two-way player. You know, so long as he can stay healthy, he's giving you wrinkles like he can give you some ISO scoring. I think he was a really efficient ISO score this past year. And also, you know, you get the the opportunity to, we talk about this a lot with a lot of these like high, heavy load spread pick and roll guys is you give him the chance to go off ball a little bit like you give Trey some some opportunity to go off ball, and um, I mean he's he's smaller. I, I'm I'm curious to see how that would work, but I do think that it would. Um, I don't know. It adds wrinkles. It improves your defense. It gives you another veteran. I think it's I think it's good across the board. I also like him, you know, not only as a guy to relieve pressure off of Trey, off of John Collins, but as kind of training wheels for these young wings too, and helping them find what I think could be more comfortable roles for them in terms of kind of the long-term prospects of their career. For Cam Reddish, for DeAndre Hunter, let these guys get into slots they can fill more easily right now by letting Hayward do a little bit more of that supplementary playmaking. To be fair, though, and not that Cam and DeAndre are Jason and Jalen, but young wings don't necessarily want those. Tra- We've already seen oh, that, no. right? They're not, they're not going to love it. They're not going to love it. Are they like, oh, you're helping me grow by keeping me on the bench? That's what you're doing? Fantastic. <laughs> you got to take your medicine sometimes, Charks. <laughs> yeah, imagine leaving Boston and then just going and having the same problems just with the worst version of the two <laughs> wings that you just played with. Everybody hates me. Yeah, I, it's kind of, it, it brings up that question of like, what is the best way to, do you hurt yourself by having a lot? Because the Hawks have picked a lot in the last few years and they picked up a lot of wings. It's like, do you hurt yourself by robbing, like Charks was talking about, robbing your wings of getting the chance to get game reps and grow that way? Because, you know, the Celtics, like we, their, their success, a lot of that grew up on the floor. Like we watched Tatum and Brown 
sort of, you know, they had their struggles, they had their times, but um, that's, I think that's kind of the flip. And Rob and I were talking about this last night was just that like, yeah, that, that question of, is it, is it smart to do your wings like that basically? Yeah. I mean, it does seem like they want to jump the process in Atlanta. And I think that could get pretty ugly if they don't execute it properly. And this is just one of those ways. Another would be just like not getting Gordon Hayward and just needing to spend all this money. And then all of a sudden, it's just like Jay Crowder making $20 million a year or something. I don't know. That's whatever the darkest possible timeline for spending that money would be. But um, so the other rumor that burbled, which we should probably talk about surrounding the Hawks, is that uh, Frank Isola has them linked to Rajon Rondo. And while he says that Rondo has his eyes set for the Los Angeles Clippers and their mid-level exception, uh, his specific report was that it was $15 million over two years for Rajon Rondo, which seems like a lot of money for a guy who doesn't play in the regular season. <laughs> like This is like Rajon Rondo's trip to Disney World, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> he can't go for COVID reasons, but... He could definitely cash in off of a couple of good games. Uh, that would be the type of move where I think it's really scary for a team like the Hawks. Would not recommend it. <laughs> well, I guess I'll be the devil's advocate here. It does seem like young guys like Rondo, wherever he's gone. I remember back with the the three alphas thing. For much that was a disaster, Rondo was the one guy being like, y'all got to chill out, let these young guys grow, blah, blah, blah. It does seem like people like being around him. Just forget about the basketball part. Right, and I don't know. And then he's let he helps Trey. Uh, maybe though, it does feel like to me it's more Rondo wants to use the Hawks as leverage to the Clippers to get more money from the Clippers. I like this pivot to Posse Charks. Just, just all good vibes coming. <laughs> it's from a new guy. day. It's a new day, yeah. Justin. Rondo goes to Disneyland. Sounds like the worst Netflix show ever, by the way. But also, <laughs> I think that like <laughs> I wouldn't watch it. But I think he's just got this personality that moves into whatever room he's in and people, I think maybe people just are semi afraid of him, you know, like, I mean, even like DeMarcus Cousins famously uh, has, you know, graded against a lot of people. I remember him saying that he liked Rondo. Like he said, we're, didn't he say like, we're both assholes or something like that? Like I checks out. Yeah. Maybe that I'm not no psychologist, but I just think uh, that might be part of it, you know? And he is it's a, the I Connect mean, Four games. That's what it is. You start getting those Connect Four going, everyone gets involved in the mess hall. Yeah, he has so much gravitas. I mean, he won a freaking title in 2008 with the Big Three Celtics. That must be like like the Bill Russell Celtics for some of these guys coming into the league right now. Like, he's he's done some stuff. He's won big games. He's gone up against LeBron James uh, in the playoffs. Like I, I definitely would probably look up to Rondo and quite frankly, I would be intimidated because he does seem like the type of person who would be on my ass as soon as I did something poorly. Well, cause also too, right. If you're a young team, I'm just thinking, I'm not thinking about the basketball part of it, but Rondo's probably a better leader for young guys than Gordon Hayward. Right. If we're talking about who are they going to listen to? Who's going to help? Maybe no mustache though. Put it this I, way. Rajan Rondo won a title before High definition television had fully uh, hit the country. <laughs> I know this because I watch games all the time. But yeah. <laughs> um, He's old. I, exactly. Um, all right, I, one, one more thing I did want to hit here just before we turn to the draft stuff. Um, so the Bucks made a lot of moves. Uh, the mismatch covered this in depth, and by now we've probably uh, you probably listened to a lot of other podcasts and articles parsed through the wreckage there. Uh, the one thing I did want to talk about quickly is kind of the ripple effects here. So 
the presumption a lot of people and a lot of people who are in the know, reporters and the like, are working under is this was enough in order for Giannis to sign the Supermax extension when they could put it in front of him on Friday if they haven't already. Um, let's just work under that assumption because I do think the ripple effects of that are super fascinating because you have a couple teams who are basically waiting for 2021 in order for a shot at, at Giannis, our guy, the two-time MVP, uh, in particular, Dallas, Toronto, Miami. And so I wonder if they're in scramble mode a little bit. And I wonder how that ripples into what they're going to do in free agency, what they might do in the draft tonight. Um, Sharks, you're in Dallas. You get a sense of like what a plan B could look like if Dallas wanted to just move on from the honest stream. It seemed like they were already kind of doing that earlier in this, I guess, a week ago now or two weeks ago. Because it seemed like they are like, we're going to be aggressive now. We can't really, what's going to happen in 2021? And they're going after like guards who could help them, who could guard and play off Luka. They were linked to Old Depot for a while. And I'm really liking the idea of Dinwiddie. Like we were talking earlier about the Rockets and Dinwiddie and flipping him again. If I'm Dallas, Spencer Dinwiddie is the kind of guy I want. Big guard, can penetrate, decent enough shooter, can guard multiple positions. That's the guy I like around Luka. I think that makes a lot of sense. Maybe for your 18th pick in this draft for Dinwiddie. I think Dinwiddie, just to supplement what you were saying, um, I think Dinwiddie's the type of guy that also on you know several nights a year could like shift and take a really big offensive load. Like he's that type of guy. You know, maybe not full time, but Luka needs you know somebody like that definitely. There's there's something kind of freeing about this when you're one of these teams of knowing that Giannis might be off the board and you can actually spend some money again. You can actually bring in guys on longer-term contracts. You can talk about a Spencer Dinwiddie. You can kick around, oh, is there a way we could get in on Fred Van Vliet, who is a player I didn't really pair with the Mavs at all, but makes a lot of sense for what you would want alongside Luka. There's all of a sudden all these other options to consider. So you miss out on one of the best players in the world, but there's there's a lot more game theory to play with. It does seem like Van Vliet's the domino, right? If Toronto's out on Giannis, then there's no reason to lose Van Vliet at all at that point, right? You might as well bring him back at whatever the price point is. Yeah, Fred Van Vliet, Serge Ibaka, you would imagine that Toronto, if only to retain some of these guys to potentially do stuff down the road, would try to resign those guys. And I think this also trickles down to like some of the contenders who are hoping to spend their mid-level exception in order to get a significant guy. And one thing that we talked about in past episodes was just that if no one had money on this market, and if the only few teams who did have money were bad teams in markets that weren't all that attractive, does a team like the Lakers with their mid-level exception have way more spending power than they usually would? simply because if all things are equal, players are probably going to want to play with LeBron James in sunny Los Angeles. And all of a sudden, Danilo Gallinari is like, well, I could take 14 million in Atlanta or I could take 9 million in LA for a year. That sounds pretty attractive. And so I do wonder if the market is going to tighten. Like if, if someone like Van Vliet, who is probably the best guy who is likely or could move this offseason is off the board, like it gets, it gets pretty bleak after that. Well, and if we're talking about from a free agent perspective, if Atlanta's cap space is off the board, like because that's a team that every you know every team is talking about as a third a third facilitator in a three team deal. Every agent is using Atlanta as leverage out there. You know, Rondo's apparently maybe included. So if there's less cap space, if one of the best free agents is off the board, the market gets shaken up really quickly. And that's where you know I feel like, and this is just my suspicion that Van Vliet may be easier to keep for the Raptors than Ibaka would be, just because they have the invest, they can make the investment long-term, 
But if you're Serge Ibaka, you're going to have lots of attractive mid-level offers. It's just a question of, for a guy who loves Toronto, do you want to stick around for another couple of years, maybe make a little more money, or do you want to go chase a ring with LeBron or whoever? And there's also the part about, are you going to be in Toronto next season? Or are you going to be in Tampa Bay or wherever they're going to be? This is fair. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, Miami is the last team on this list that I have marked down. Like, I don't know, maybe they get more active in trade discussions. You would assume that they would have moved on from Goran Dragic. Um, and maybe that means he's coming back. Maybe you sign him to a balloon payment for a one-year deal. I don't know. I, I think it's going to get pretty fascinating uh, pretty quickly here. Um, one last thing just before we, we turn to draft. Uh, so there was a report yesterday that yesterday being Tuesday that the M- the NBA schedule, like the first half of it essentially came out. So the NBA is going to release the schedule in two halves. Uh, do you, I'm curious if you guys have any takeaways from it. Cause it, there were, wasn't much new in there. There's going to be this play in tournament. That seems like a more exciting version of the one that we got in the bubble, uh, my only thought there was that if you're only releasing a first half of a schedule in order to bake in a period where you could make up games for like because of the coronavirus, like it already seems pretty bleak. Uh, but curious what you guys think. This is not exactly at the top of the world's problems, but this schedule is yet another reason that a COVID vaccine cannot come soon enough. It, it you know, I, I think it's smart planning to leave the second half of the schedule open. I have not been thrilled with the NBA arrangements that I've heard to date in terms of what this could actually look like in arenas, what it could look like in terms of player travel, which the league, it looks like from this first half of the schedule, didn't do a great deal to curb as at least as much as they could have given the circumstances. So let's go, let's go as uh, vaccine assembly lines, you know, activate, please. Well, what's, you know, what, what are the protocols going to look like? Because I know in college basketball right now, one of the big problems that they've had is that, uh, and there's been a lot of criticism from my guy, Rick Pitino, I know, uh, that, you know, if one player has it, the whole team has to sit out for two weeks. Like, you know, if we're out moving around in society before and if we're supposed to spike here when, and when around when the league's supposed to start back up, uh, I don't know. It just seems like it's going to be carnage on that level. Um, have they rolled out much in terms of what the protocols are going to be on that level? Have you guys heard? I haven't seen anything. Not in stone. And so much of it, too, is going to depend on what team by team decides to do in terms of letting fans into the building as well, which is going to vary a lot depending on market, depending on market size, and depending on just how badly they need that money from the gate. Yeah. I mean, the, the tournament, I'll just say, for a hopeful note, for a little bit of an upswing here as we end things, it seems pretty exciting. Like, I'm glad that they took the right takeaway from last year's or god a couple months ago's uh play-in tournament it just seems like they're going to beef it up a little more and it seems like it'll be a little exciting and like the trickle-down effects of like what does it mean for like tanking and what does it mean for like teams trying to push at certain times of the year uh, i think will be pretty fascinating but i guess we'll see um so as i mentioned up top we recorded the second half of this podcast yesterday around what was it like five central time to pacific six eastern time yes. uh so i don't we all came to the decision that not enough had happened in order to update anything so like there have been a couple burbles since there and yeko kongwu is like may have an injury the knicks traded up like four spots at the bottom of the first round to maybe do something so it's only like minor stuff the the, the good stuff is still there for you 
So on that note, uh, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, you'll hear that conversation. All right, we're back. And today is finally here. It is draft day. The thing that we were all waiting for for weeks and weeks and weeks until 30 trades happened earlier in this week. Charks, do you have any sort of draft day ritual? Do you have any like Texas Forever underoos that you got going on today? First off, I need to buy some Texas Forever. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I, th- I think draft is like most days. Like I have a little mid-afternoon nap, you know, get myself ready for the big, the big nights about it. That's the key to adulthood right there. A, a little mid-afternoon you. nap. Um, so we've been talking about the draft for, for a couple of weeks now here, but uh, what happened earlier in the week kind of shuffles things up. So we got a few new possibilities out there. I want to start with what the fallout for the Thunder and Pelicans trades will be. Um, obviously, the Thunder traded Dennis Schroeder and then Chris Paul, and the Pelicans just traded Drew Holiday. So each of them have... Man, it's got to be in the double digits if you're looking out into 2026 and 2027, a number of of draft uh, prospects coming to them. The question is, Charks, what do you actually do with all of these picks? Because on the one hand, it seems nice to look at this spreadsheet and see first in 2024 and swap here and this guy and whatever. But then when it comes down to it, that's a a lot of late late first round picks that they're going to have to find uses for. Yeah, I mean, 2027, are we sure it's going to be a country at that point? Much less a basketball league. It's just so, it's mind-boggling to think about. You can trade that far into the future. It's dark time. Dark, dark, dark comment here. They have so many picks in the future, Charks. I feel like you're going to legitimately be able to pitch your son. Like, we could pitch our kids to, <laughs> to Presti. Start that is the tape. long-term plan, for sure. Yeah. yeah that, that's what LeBron is actually waiting for. Not Brownie, but Charksy. <laughs> I, th- I think Sharks is onto something though. Like, who can get ahead of the apocalypse and trade out their draft picks beyond that point? I mean, there's there's a lot of money to be made in the meantime. Let's do it. The doomsday strategy you just don't hear about it enough Mm-mm. in a franchise. You're like, well, we'll be dead, you know. Or... <laughs> so screw it. Yeah, it was it in the long run we'll all be dead. John Keynes yeah. on economics. Sam Presti on the draft. Same idea. That's what uh, the Clippers were thinking when they made the the Paul George trade, actually, is that we're not going to be around to feel the repercussions of it all. Uh, No, but I I think it's interesting because we've been told for so many years now that this is the right way to build a team. And it seems like these small market teams who had uh, big time stars want to get out of that situation. Uh, Anthony Davis more than Drew Holiday in terms of New Orleans. Uh, like this is what you kind of, you target, right? You want future assets at the worst case, they could turn to something else down the road. But as we're seeing with a team like the Celtics, for instance, there's a darkest timeline where those draft picks just become almost like millstones. Like the, the Celtics are at this point where they can't roster all the players that they have. Uh, and they have three more draft picks coming this year. Rob, what do you think just in terms of a team building strategy is if you go into this draft with, all these picks, if you're the Pelicans or the Thunder, are you looking to trade them to maybe move up in the draft or is that too soon in the process? I mean, they're both at pretty different places. And I think, you know, let's look at the Thunder, for example. I think they're in a spot where they can skip a step in a sense. They can, rather than just liquidate these veterans they have on their roster, the Steven Adams, the, you know, now potentially Danny Green, Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, they can try to spin those guys by attaching a couple picks to them and getting some young talent in return. You know, jump ahead a little bit in their process. You're not just tearing it down. You're also getting some of that young talent in the door. 
I think New Orleans is at a place where they almost have more young guys than they can play already. So they're going to have to consolidate as it is, even before you start getting into their draft stuff. It's it's tricky. But I think, you know, both of these teams are where you want to be in the sense that, you know, whenever the next disgruntled star becomes available or starts making noise, and you don't even really know who that guy is yet, but you, you want to get out ahead of it. You want to get into that space where, you know, there's like this uh, this famous battle plan that's attributed to Napoleon that's like show up and see what happens. Like just kind of you know engage and then follow up depending on what's happening out there. I feel like that's where these teams are. They're they're in the show up and see what happens stage in terms of a future superstar trade. It's my career just like <laughs> outline right there. You could do worse. That's sort of LeBron's playoff uh, perspective, right? <laughs> show up, see right. what happens, and then react like he doesn't. Yeah, doesn't come in with a full fledged plan immediately. Well, we don't have to go process versus results on how it went for Napoleon, but let's just let's pretend it's a good plan. <laughs> I do think it's important to point out, though, sometimes you get people saying, oh, man, the Thunder are going to get like Emily Bates or whoever, like the next great young superstar. But it's always worth remembering to get the number one pick in the draft is purely luck, right? Especially with the way the draft order has changed now, where I think the top chance is like 20%, maybe even lower. I forget what the exact odds are now, but it's, it's much 15. lower than it used to be. Yeah. So like a process type thing doesn't really work anymore. And if you want to get a top three pick now nowadays, it's purely a luck thing. Like Zion getting for the Pelicans. There was no grand plan for that. They just got really, really lucky. And even with all these picks, there's no guarantee you get a true star out of them because you're no guarantee you get a top three pick out of it. Right. And I guess the Hawks would be the opposite end of this where they've tanked really hard and they haven't ended up with the right picks in order to do that. Although they also shot themselves in the foot and didn't pay, take Luka Doncic, but that's a whole other story. That's true. Had the right picks, just not the right players, it turns out. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Pelicans then, because they're in an interesting situation where they probably have a lot of their cornerstone players that they're going to go into this next era with. Brandon Ingram's up for restricted free agency. You'd assume he gets a max or something close to it to stick around. Zion is obviously going to be the most important player there as long as he stays healthy. So, so Kyle, what do you think the Pels' plan should be here? If you're going into this draft, are you comfortable staying at 13, maybe taking someone to replace a Drew Holiday, or would you prefer to try to maybe aggregate some of those picks in order to take a huge swing, maybe get the Ball brothers back together? Yeah, there's been talk about that. The uh, That's one too many balls to juggle, I think was the joke I made the other day. Uh, it's... <laughs> That's a winner, I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're in the middle of the draft. There are some guys that I think could turn into, um, you know, valuable two-way pieces in the future. I don't know. In the short term, you're just not going to replace something like Holiday. I mean, you can try to aim it like we talked about last time. The the pieces that could that could supplement Zion. I I don't know. I think. I think I'd go ahead and just stay put for now and kind of wait and see, uh, just kind of survey the landscape like we were talking about, um, because uh, there's no there's no sort of implied move, in my opinion, right now for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, KLC has has Devin Vassell, I should mention, mocked to them at, at 13 right now. He's kind of like a three and D sort of guy from Florida State, right, Sharks? Yeah, Vassell's kind of the plug and play guy in this in this range of the draft. He's like your Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, just kind of a guy you know you can bring him in, play the two or the three. Remember when Cam Johnson, like, he, he was like the bad comp when you didn't want to be Cam Johnson, the like 30 year old who got picked at, at 10? <laughs> you know? James Jones, catch up, Justin. James Jones is ahead of everybody. <laughs> I, love Cam, I love Cam Johnson. I was, I didn't know about that high, but uh, that was one when people, 
people were really griping about it. I was like, watch this dude shoot one ball and then tell me you don't like it. Cause uh, I just, I just remember he was, he was a transfer, right? Sharks. I think yeah, he transferred Pittsburgh. from Pitt. Yeah. Then he and, got uh, hurt and that's all it was. Why so I stayed so late in the, in the college. It's, it's honestly impressive how we know so much about what is successful in the NBA now. And yet people still run away from the things that like we know are successful. Like everyone's like, where do we find shooting? Oh my God, where can I find a shooter, especially someone who could swing between the forward positions? And everyone's like, oh, Cam Johnson just shoots like 40% from three. It's fine, but he's like 24. So don't worry about it. Well, I think it's it's in part because Anthony Morrow played for like every NBA team. <laughs> so, you know, everyone's a little shell-shocked on the guy who can shoot, but what else? Um, you know, there's some concern there. There's some there's some hurt feelings. Yeah. Well, I guess my question is with the Pelicans, Charks, is like, does this open up the possibility for more of a ball handler? Like, are you looking at Killian Hayes a little bit more if he falls? Can you move up a couple slots for like a Tyrese Halliburton type? Yeah, to me, I look at New Orleans' roster. Like, if I'm trying to find guys to put around Zion and Ingram, um, and Lonzo, I guess, if you want to put Lonzo in that discussion, maybe Josh Hart, if we're really going to get generous. I think like I want a penetrating point guard and a stretch big. That to me are like the two pieces that make the most sense. Because right now, Ingram is kind of a shooter. He's a deliberate player. Lonzo is an off-ball guy. I want someone who's going to get into the lane and kick the ball to somebody else, get the ball moving, and it can spread the floor. And then a stretch big, someone who can open up the lane for Zion. So to me, I guess like I guess like big picture, if I'm looking at the picks for the Pelicans, where this is valuable to me is I can say, you know what? I drafted Jackson Hayes at eight last year, but I'm going to take a stretch big. I'm not going to worry about redundancy there because I have so many draft picks. So that's where that maybe comes into play is like identifying guys and not worrying about sunk costs from last draft picks. What would you think about Kyra right there? I would love it. That's the guy I was thinking of, actually. That's exactly yeah. the guy I'm thinking. So he's the big from Alabama, right? Kyra Lewis? Point no, guard. he's like I, a... He's, he's okay. basically... Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like... He's got like that long, he's, he's got like that bendy, long, shea type body, but he's, he's not quite as big. Well, he's the fastest player in this draft, by I think, by substantially. Oh, sure. That's what I meant. Yeah, him. He is incendiary <laughs> fast. I mean, like, it's insane. And he's got a good, he's got a good jump shot, too. Kira's yeah. got a good jump shot. He's the fastest player in this draft. Yeah, I've, I've got him at eight. He's the guy I want for a lot of these teams in the late lotteries, Kyra Lewis. He's, he's slept on. <laughs> Yeah, there's going to be a lot of those guys, I feel like, that come up in this discussion because, like, the entire draft is slept on. <laughs> right. Uh, it's a sleeper's draft, they say. <laughs> My favorite Cairo Lewis story is he played Cole Anthony, and Cairo Lewis is a sophomore in college, and Cole Anthony is a freshman in college, and Cairo Lewis is younger than Cole. Like, there's, there's some, like, past-present thing going on right there, time-wise. All right, so we, so we hit the Pelicans. Is there anything more to say about the Thunder? It seems like they're kind of where they are. They're at 25 and 28, I think. They don't have their own pick, but they have Denver's and the Lakers now. Um, any late-round steals, Kyle, that you could think of that might be good for them to maybe take a flyer on? I guess you have the luxury to kind of swing, to make like an upside swing. I don't know. You were talking about uh, Baisley, like a Baisley type that maybe is kind of in a, a raw or stage. I mean, I keep thinking about RJ Hampton. He just seems like somebody they would take, but I also was thinking about, um, what do you think about Jay scrub? Do you, are you guys familiar with Jaden scrub? It's he's, he's first team I've all name in this draft. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John a Logan college, you know, just yes. normally watches that stuff, but this one time he missed him. Yes. So, yes, John A. Logan College, he was committed to uh, to Louisville and didn't end up coming. And anyway, that's happened to them a lot of times for some reason. But 
Probably because nobody wants to go there. Sorry, Haley. Uh, that was a that was a UK hey. fan joke. Anyway, we're moving along here. So Jay Scrub is he's like a six six left handed, really really athletic. Like his athleticism, he's twitchy. It pops. Um, he's shown some competency, uh, you know, as as a slasher. I I kind of like his catch and shoot uh, mechanics. I think that he he just seems like that type of guy that like a a team that's you know, a maybe a lower level playoff team could just snag and hang on to and develop, but he seems really thundery to me. I don't know. So it's funny with Scrub. Um, I was talking to a Portland Trailblazers blogger who's interviewed Scrub's college coach multiple times. And that gives you any idea of how much he's been linked to a certain team. <laughs> <That's> right. Just, <laughs> it's like blogger Mad Libs right now. <laughs> like, sure, I've heard okay. that. So the guy KOC has with him is... Uh, is uh, Pokashevsky, the kind of uh, seven-foot Serbian teenager. And KOC has in his mock that that have been linked to Pokashevsky for a long time. And that also fits their whole shtiz is like taking a swing on an 18-year-old with a lot of physical upside. What, what do we need to know about him? Pokashevsky? Yeah. Well, he is an odd player. He's very tall. Uh, you keep hearing people talk about, I even think I said this the last time I was on here, but he's, he's, he's legit seven feet. I'm pretty sure. Uh, really rail thin, um, Serbian. He's Serbian. Pretty positive. Yeah, Serbian played in Greece. Yeah. Yes. Um, he, he moves like a wing. Like he, he runs fluidly. The thing I always say about him is you can't tell how fast he is. If he, if he was just running in a gym without anyone else around, he just he he moves like that. Um, I mean, Fran Fraschilla actually came out today and and said some things like in, dropped an intel bomb. I have no idea why he did that or what motivated that. I thought that was kind of strange, but uh, he shoots. He's got a really tight shot pocket. His feet, his footwork for for a big guy, um, sort of just unusual for somebody like him. He shoots it really really quick, uh, but. He's somebody that has volatility, like upside, a lot of it. It's going to take some time, though. I mean, his body is going to have to come around or or it's going to be tough for him. So the Thunder have, as a result of that trade there, a couple guys who are veterans that they might just try to rehabilitate. Danny Green is one. Um, who else did they get there? Rookie Rubio, uh, Ubre, much to Sharks' chagrin, could ultimately move on if they could find a new home for him. Um, Jalen LeCue. Yeah, that guy who no one had heard about until yesterday and someone looked up that his nickname was like Baby Westbrook. Ty Jerome, too, a guy who people know and think is good but actually isn't good right now. So we got a lot of that going. But Rob, just in terms of like long-term vision, if you're looking at this season, is it all about Shea? And from that perspective, do you think that they should draft kind of with that in mind, with trying to bring out the best in him if he is their main guy going forward? Oh, definitely. But I think the Thunder are a team that, as we saw last season, can afford to roll out a competitive group, coast it to the trade deadline, show what these guys can do in a certain kind of setting, and then look to trade an Ubre or a Rubio or an Adams, whatever the market for those guys may be. So they have a lot of flexibility. They have a lot of options. And most importantly, they have a lot of time. This isn't a team that is in any kind of urgent situation to do anything. So they can really play out the market with these guys, pit teams against each other for you know whatever playoff contender hits the trade deadline and really needs a Kelly Oubre to put them over the top, they're in a great position to play all of this, just like Sam Presti has basically been playing half the league like a fiddle over the last year or so. Sharks, briefly, what do you think about that fit, Oubre and, and Shea, and just Oubre in general and in the Thunder, with the Thunder? Well, I mean, he fits anywhere. That's what makes him such an interesting player, right? It's like LeBron, Six, seven yeah. wing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually love him in Dallas down the road, now that we're talking about it. But, yeah, I mean, for Oklahoma City, the question is, 
at what point do you start signing guys to long-term contracts? Or is Ubre? It's weird. Like, at what point do you say Ubre is 23, but is he too old for your future, right? I don't even know anymore with Oklahoma City. Like, how far do you want to spin this? When you're trading 23-year-olds for future assets, right? Like, what are we really doing here? Yeah. Then it just becomes a Ponzi scheme. Well, the, the LeBron comparison brought this out in me. I kind of I want to I want to put you guys on the spot. What is the hottest player comp you can reasonably defend on this podcast for this draft? Like, what what is the furthest limb you're willing to go out on for a player comp for this draft? I mean, I guess my comp for Pokashevsky and like I don't know if this is hot or not. Here's a deep cut. He reminds me a lot of Austin Day. <laughs> that worked out well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm in. I'm into this. I'm. I'm into the niche element of this comp for I sure. I think. I think Day is kind of that is his floor. But then his ceiling. I know someone in the NBA who has him with number two on their big board, right? Like he's got the widest range of outcomes of anyone in this draft, probably. Like he can go from two to like thirty. It's it's all possible. If Fran for Shilla doesn't come for his character tomorrow in a in a <laughs> in a tweet fleet, yeah, we'll see what happens. I I mean I think uh, Tyrell Terry reminds me of Seth Curry a little bit, like earlier iterations of Seth Curry. Um, I don't know. People are really hyped on him. He's a guy I know. KOC really loves him. He's like a guy who is a really fluid on to off ball shooter that you could use. I could see him becoming like a like a really high uh, gravity off ball player in the league. Um, with uh, you know, decent size at six three, but he, I think he's a guy that is going to have to. This is me launching into my Tyrell Terry take, but uh, I think he's a guy that's going to take a, a few years to really cement himself um, because defensively he's going to have to come around, and the consistency isn't quite where I would like it to be for him to justify being on the floor. But that's a comp. Kyle, for him we're not on the mismatch anymore. You can sneak in Tyrell Terry slander. KOC can't <laughs> stop you. <laughs> Uh, in Kelsey's mock, he has RJ Hampton as taller Roddy Boubois, which Ooh. I got to say, Roddy Boubois has really had a, a like a, a renaissance here and not necessarily a positive one where it just seems like he has now become the comp for a guy who is mildly interesting, but isn't actually good. I have to say, I've been getting vague Roddy Boubois flashbacks in hearing about just how untouchable um, Michael Porter Jr. is in Denver. You know, just this this idea of this young, tantalizing player right on the cusp of something, and we're just going to shut down all trade discussion unless you're willing to throw the kitchen sink at us. I, I, I'm not saying I'm going to bet on Michael Porter Jr. panning out like Roddy Boubois, but it would not entirely surprise me if he did. I will say, if Roddy Boubois was six foot ten, we'd be having a different conversation <laughs> right now. Say, I in, think they're in different his, stratospheres. <laughs> in his def- in his defense. Let's move on to the Suns just quickly on the other side of uh, that Thunder trade here. So they have an interesting pick at 10 now. So they kept this pick as opposed to trading it, gave up a future one for Chris Paul. So in theory, they could add a pretty significant piece here to what is already a young, intriguing core. And then Paul obviously makes them even more intriguing. Uh, Charks, anybody stick out to you at 10 who would be a good fit there? The interesting thing is, is I feel like the Suns probably had the choice to either give up this pick this year's draft or that 2022 pick. So that tells me they had someone they wanted at 10. And like, if we do go by the Suns history, to me, this is where Devin Vassell ends up most likely, right? The Suns have spent the last couple of years drafting three and D wings later in the lottery. They're a team that wants to win now. They just made a win now trade. And like what history has shown us, if you want a win now player in the draft, I mean, draft a, a three and D guy, right? 
if a rookie can't play in a 3 and D role, he's probably not going to help your team win at this stage of his career. For them specifically, I think they just need to they need to continue to add their flexibility defensively. It's what I've just kind of said over and over again with them. And and if you can, you want that person to be able to shoot too. So I mean, Vassell fits that bill really, really well there. I mean, um, there's a few of the guys. I mean, I think I think Sadiq Bay would be a really good fit there too. You add you add even more playmaking. He's got great size. Um, like we said, I think he's like a forty percent three point shooter. A solid character guy can contribute immediately. Mature, uh, Charks. Like we were saying, he's he's like schematically mature. He's ready to play at the NBA level. Um, he's plug and play as well. I I like him a lot. My comp for him is Darius Miller. I've got a lot of these random comps like that. If you want to go real deep, <laughs> I'm conflicted on that one because I'm like, I love Darius Miller. He's one of my guys, but I almost feel like I feel like Bay is going to be better than Darius Miller. But so that pains me. You said Darius Miller, right? Yeah, Kentucky great, Darius Miller. I think the main thing for the Suns, you have an Ubre-sized chasm in your core now. So <laughs> you got to fill Jesus. that one way or the other. <laughs> well, KLC has Isaac Okoro going there. How do we feel about him in comparison to Basil? Okay, so this is interesting. So like, I think most of like the draft intelligentsia or whatever, I love Okoro. Whereas I'm at the point now where I just hate drafting guys who can't shoot. I'm just completely over it. I don't... I can't remember the last guy in the lottery who was a, seen as a non-shooter who panned out. Kyle, do you, who comes to mind is that? Like, this is a non-shooting wing with good feel who became a good NBA player. Oh, man. I think once... I have a theory that just kind of once you're past 18 years old, your your chances of becoming a good shooter are just... They just plummet. Like, it's... Yeah. it's it depends on the person, and it really depends on where they go. Uh, like, Okoro, though, I mean, he's way more of a... To me, he fits the mold of the types of guys that like Nick Nurse has really gotten a lot out of in the last few years. Like really just brawny wings that are like really flexible and long um, and and can close out, close gaps quickly. Like he's 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 a heck of an athlete, like for real. Uh would you who do you think is the better just top to bottom athlete between Okoro and Vassell, would you say? Okoro's easily the better athlete, but yeah. To me, it's like the foundation of a jumper is not there. So you're drafting right. guy, you're gonna have to build this foundation for a jump shot. And it's like, man, the Suns tried it with Josh Jackson. It did not work. And even the success stories are shooters, like Aaron Gordon's success story as a shooter. And Aaron Gordon still can't really shoot, right? Yeah. He was terrible last year. Well, Charks, who was the non-shooter who broke your heart? <laughs> <laughs> who hurt you? I'm trying to think. There's been so many. You know, I mean, you go back to like my old kid Gilchrist, Justice mm -hmm. Winslow. You know, like Stanley Johnson, jo Kid I mean, Chris, as the the Hornets Draymond is still the most shark shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> did you say that? And I, and I love it. I so did. Much. I had that had that take out there for a while. That didn't work out. I it, you especially just start thinking about sort of the the factors that converge on a player who is trying to develop and learn how to shoot. You think about defenses get smarter, they get faster. If you if something that really always just kind of is impressed upon me is just how quickly you have to shoot in the NBA and how, how much yeah. you have to be able to relocate quickly in the NBA because teams are, are scheming and building rosters to cover the floor in this horizontal way. Like the NBA is very like lateral these days. Like you have to be fast. So if you're not a great shooter and you're trying to get better, you have, you just, you'd better have at least like a good foundation to build on, like Charks was talking about, because it's just, it's incredibly cutthroat, like to, to learn in that environment. 
That's why it's and so hard. And the bar for shooting, it keeps raising and raising and raising, right? I feel like in five years, if you can't movement shoot, you might be in trouble, right? If you can't relocate and shoot quickly, maybe you're already in trouble now. We're already there, in my opinion, at the highest level. Like, you you know, the, the Heat really, really hammer on this that like, they, they want their guys, they have to be able to sidestep. Like, they have no interest in you coming in to take that 18, you know, 15 to 18 footer. You have to be able to move left or right or backwards and be able to shoot with efficiency from that range. And if you haven't been doing that, it's hard to do. It's hard to learn. Rob, if we're just looking in a vacuum, what do the Suns really need? Because they're in an interesting situation where, depending on when they made that trade, they could have either had a bunch of cap space to go after a veteran or they could have prioritized keeping Dario Saric. They went the latter route. You'd assume that they're going to try to offer him something to stick around or match on anything in order to keep him to pad out their front court. If you're just looking in terms of what they need after that for a Chris Paul Suns team, like what's at the top of your list? Yeah, I mean, in a post-Ubre world, they feel a little wing, a little wing light to me. And maybe that maybe that's just a group chat cliche at this point. Every team is like two wings light of where we would like them to be. But unless you're like really into Abdul Nader, I, I just don't see how they have enough minutes to quite fill out those positions the way you would want. So if you can find, as they were saying, a plug and play guy who can slide in where you know where they are in the draft because they've kind of made their bed in terms of what they're going to be able to do in free agency by the timing of this trade, that would be great. I, I don't know that that player is out there necessarily, but that's that's kind of where I see the need for them right now. Two wings away from being two wings away. Always. Where we are. Well, that brings me to our next team because the Houston Rockets now have a draft pick. And I'm curious because on face value, it seems like they got kind of robbed here because Rob Covington for Trevor Ariza is a bit of a steal. Um, I, like Ariza showed a little bit more in Portland that he did in Sacramento. So maybe there's still like some juice in the lemon left there, but they need players. If they intend on keeping James Harden, which seems less likely by the hour, they need actual contributors. And so I'm curious, what do you look for if you're the Rockets? Um, is, is this like the opportunity? I believe they're at 16 now with this pick from Portland to load up more on wings in order to get some value back there? Or do you just go with a big man just because, you know, you need a large human in the center of your defense sometimes? What do you think, Sharks? See, I'm normally a big believer and I like building cores that fit well together. So when you have a young core, I'm a big believer in drafting guys who make sense and roles that fit. But the Rockets literally have no young core. Do they have one player under 30 who's any good? In two weeks, they may have no core, period. Yeah. So to me, you're at 16. This is the first piece of a rebuilding project, right? Like, there's just nothing there right now. So whoever is good, it really doesn't matter what position they play, what their skill set is. Like, it makes no difference because there's nothing there right now. Pretty much. I mean, yeah, there's there's just nothing to, like, you're, you don't, I, always, I say this over and over again, but the, you look for kind of implied directions whenever you're, talking about what you want to do in the draft like it's hard to talk about fit when you're not you know the whole the whole idea of fitting is implies that there's something else there and there's just not so i mean and and for them i yeah i guess you can kind of go for an upside play you know if you could get a, like a pokashevsky right there i know we keep talking about him i mean who's who's the other like biggest upside play in the draft would you say who's second because i feel like pokashevsky is like hammered to death in terms of in terms of uh talking about him on that level I mean, I think we've, we've talked about him before on the pod. I think Jaden McDaniels, if you're just taking a wild swing at talent, 
So that's a 610 wing from Washington. So 610 wing, right? Like something like that. Maybe if you you take a point guard, because I, I, I do feel it's important to have a point guard when you rebuild, right? Without a, without a playmaker, everyone else kind of runs around in circles. There's no real structure to your team. There'll be a lot of point guards available at 16, a lot of bigger playmakers maybe. Maybe an RJ Hampton here. I don't know. So KOC has Precious Achua? Mm-hmm. Yes. Achua. There you go. Uh, and he says he's considered a top 10 prospect by some scouts around the league. Is he the type of guy who maybe fits that bill? A guy with some upside, but maybe is too raw? I don't know. I, um, I was just talking with some uh, Memphis people yesterday about this. I actually have a little more faith in Precious than I think the average person does. but uh, Because I, I think that he... If the parameters are like correct and the expectations for him are correct, I think that he could play in the NBA for a long time. Like, I mean, he's he's a long runner jumper. Like, he's he's kind of uh, I like his motor. Uh, something that I'm encouraged by is that he's already shown that he's open to to adapting his game and sort of schematically being malleable. Because if you watched him. Uh, his junior year of high school, he played, uh, or senior year of high school, he played at Montverde with this guy, Cade Cunningham, which is going to be a name you're going to hear a lot about, really coveted guy. But he was playing as like this 6'9 athletic dribble jump shooter, and he was really wildly inefficient about at it. And it kind of lowered my stock, and I know a lot of people kind of came down on him. But at Memphis this past year, when Wiseman... Uh, was ruled ineligible, he had to play more five. So you saw his game sort of... Uh, adjust and he accepted that from what I could tell on court um, I think that he's the type of guy that NBA teams are going to be needing because he's like a really flexible athletic good motored uh, guy that can guard multiple positions I think eventually he's going to be hitting threes um, I, I like him in the right context I think the, the idea with Precious is that he kind of has Montrez's game with a jump shot like that's like the hope when you draft someone like Precious is that should we turn to the top of the draft now because we've been talking about this for weeks, probably even longer. Uh, so it seems like the the top three guys, LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman, and Anthony Edwards are going to shuffle through those first three picks at, in some position, maybe get a, an outlier here. I think what's interesting here is we keep seeing flipping between like who fits best versus who is like what teams are going to go for the home run swing. Um, you would assume that the home run guy at the top of the draft is LaMelo Ball. Anthony Edwards might be a little bit more of a better fit for the guys that they have there, Cat and D'Angelo Russell. Sharks, if you're drafting from one, I think it'd be interesting to discuss, like, you made all this, you've done all the prep at this point. You, we've gone through all the different possibilities. You can't get a trade now. What are you prioritizing? Someone who fits better around Cat or maybe the bigger swing who could potentially be a superstar that like you can't get anywhere else? I mean, I guess that is the question, right? With all like the Suns with Booker, the Hawks with Trey Young. Because you, you build a team, you're like, we got to make the playoffs. But then you also have to think, at what point are these guys going to start getting unhappy? Do you have to worry about that? And do you draft someone who like to you draft your Michael Porter, right? Do you draft someone who can like maybe a star in three or four years? It's like there's two different timelines the same, right? Justin, when you were in New Orleans, the Anthony Davis problem basically, right? Like the guys who need you to the playoffs right now, but they also limit your ceiling. Then you draft guys who maybe can't help you right now and they're even more miserable because the team really sucks. But the growth three, four from years from now is huge, right? That balance probably for all small markets is always intention. Well, I thought it was interesting, Justin, that you laid out, you know, how do these guys fit with Cat 
versus how do these guys fit with Cat and Russell? Because I think there's a meaningful line there, right? Like Carl Anthony Towns, unquestionably the talent you take into all considerations when you make any decision as a franchise. I think the Wolves want Russell to be in that category. I don't know that his game has put him in that group just yet. Yeah, you would think Cat also wants him to be in that category and it's probably what the motivation was. Um, Kyle, what do you think? I think it's extremely tough for the Wolves because I, you know, for them to have the good fortune to to get this pick, you know, this is a tough year for it because the 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 fit at the top. Like I, I was just kind of taking a look at some of uh, Russell's defensive and team defensive uh, numbers and and tape earlier, and uh, the idea of putting Cat as the anchor of a defense with Lamelo Ball and D'Angelo Russell you know, being asked out front to guard, you know, ball handlers and switches and things and and guys coming at the rim to put your unequivocally like your your offensive one uh, at the back line of that is tough, in my opinion, like because ball was one of the worst on ball defenders this past year of any prospect in this class. Like he, he was rough and to put him and Russell together on the court, I think, you know, Charks and I were talking about this. Who do you put on the court with those two? I mean, Akogi and, and Culver, was that the other guy you said, Charks? Yeah, I mean, that's on their roster right now. Yeah. So, yeah, and in terms, I've kind of just drifted towards thinking that Edwards might be a better idea here for them fit-wise, but I'm not wild about it at all, honestly, uh, because I, I don't know that it really immediately gives you this core that you're just like, I love this. You know, it's not, not your traditional... Core that you would feel wonderful about moving forward. Like I just feel uneasy about it, to be honest. You know what's interesting, right? Talk about the draft. So D'Angelo is twenty three. He's been in the league four years, and we're still not totally sure on what he's going to be, right? And like, think about that. That means a guy draft now in twenty twenty four. Maybe we're still going to be unsure about him, right? By that same D'Angelo's the number two overall pick, and we're still kind of guessing on him a little bit. We've had yeah, so much time young. to watch him play in the NBA. All these guys are, though, right? Edwards is 19. Wiseman mm-hmm. is the same thing. Lamelo also. I feel like I know who Russell is at this point. The problem is who he is, one, and how much he's getting paid to do so. Like, the Warriors pulled off just a, like a brilliant piece of business by turning Katie's departure into essentially just like a, a money hold in order to flip that for different players. But... And they ultimately got this draft pick and or not this draft pick, but the Wolves draft pick coming up. Yeah. You say that though, Justin, the Wol- the, the Warriors got Andrew Wiggins at $30 million a year and a mid to late lottery pick. <laughs> so maybe that's a lot. Maybe it's not right. Sure. But they're at a point where they can't really add anything just because of how bloated their salaries are going to be for a while. And like, as we saw, like those guys matter, especially in the playoffs and like they're still hunting with this trade exception to find some semblance of an Iguodala who they don't really have in their roster. And I think quite frankly, they need if they want to go up against like the Lakers of the world. So, well, I think, you know, before we move off the wolves and the topic, I think we'd be remiss not to mention, you know, James Wiseman in this conversation and to paraphrase him that in terms of talking to the wolves, he hasn't. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't seem like he's a, he's a great fit there. (laughs) No, um, well, I mean, I guess how about this though? Like the logic of Wiseman is that he's a defensive minded center and Cat's really a four, right? Because Cat, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a stretch because you're asking Cat, because Cat's got to guard someone, right? I know Cat doesn't want to play, like guarding him at the rim is tough. So guarding on the perimeter is tough too, but he has to guard somebody at some point. 
So giving a guy who can guard and behind him makes sense on some level, right? Let me ask you this, because we're on this. Like, who's going to be the better defender long term? Is it Lamelo or is it going to be Anthony Edwards, or is that just like a such an easy question? Edwards has more tools, I think, to be like a ball pressure guy. I think that he's, you know, physically he's he's a more explosive athlete. I think Lamelo's ceiling, I think, is like I said in this video that I just put out. I'll I'll plug now uh, on the Ringers YouTube uh, about Lamelo. I think that his ceiling is like savvy team defender that's positionally kind of just holds the line. Um, I don't really ever, he's not the kind of athlete that could be disruptive or correct mistakes. He doesn't really have the build to be somebody that could, uh, you know, take on like a, a, a sturdier player. He's, he's six, seven, but I, I don't see him taking on like a, like a four, three, like a Jimmy Butler. He's definitely not guarding like stronger wings or thwarting them. I think that Edwards has a lot more flexibility on that front. And, but then realistically, right, even in a best-case scenario, these guys are probably two to three years away from playing defense, right? You're asking a 19-year-old ball-dominant offensive player to learn how to play defense at the NBA level. And three years from now, now you're like, that's a long time to wait for Cat and D'Angelo. Like, it's a weird spot to be in with the draft. Like, it just takes time for these young guys. And that's where you wonder if trading back makes sense for them, if they can find the trade. Yeah, this is a rare instance where at least the, the top two teams in the draft have expectations to be competitive next year. With the Wolves, that seems almost impossible considering all the teams that are loading up on the, in the Western Conference that someone's bound to not make it into the playoffs. And I would guess it's the team that can't play defense and probably is going to rely on like an 18-year-old to play significant minutes for them. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a really fascinating thing because even the Warriors, they they probably, if they draft Wiseman, they need him to go guard a big man, if not in the regular season, then definitely in the playoffs. One thing I'm thinking though, as you guys are talking about it, so if they never made the trade for Russell, if the Wolves were just looking at Cat and just Cat Flotsam and I guess they would have Malik Beasley and a couple other minor pieces, does that change the equation, Kyle? Do you think like we'd be talking more about LaMelo Ball simply because there isn't that like duplicativeness between Ball and potentially Russell? I think they're really similar. I don't, I don't know if everybody agrees with me on that, but they, they, in terms of their feel, the way they move, the way they shoot, their idea of themselves, they just, I don't know. I just, I really think of Russell a lot when I, when I watch Ball um, and I've been watching Russell for a good bit. Them together to me is problematic, like I was saying earlier. And if D'Angelo is not there, yeah, I, th- I think that LaMelo is probably the implied pick, in my opinion, to put to put mm-hmm. here. I'm really hoping for the best for a team like Charlotte to swoop in, whether it's with Ball, whether it's with you know trading for up to get Wiseman, whatever the situation may be. Just because you know, not not to circle back and hammer Michael Kidd Gilchrist too hard in this conversation, but they've been one of those franchises that's on the cusp of getting the elite guy all the time. And if this is the draft where they can finally land one of those players, you know, it transforms your franchise. It changes everything. And they're they're a team that needs a little bit of that juice, maybe more than most. Yeah, I kind of wanted to talk about the most interesting teams going into draft night to wrap it up here and to jump the line a little bit. I was going to bring up the Hornets. They're really fascinating to me because while, as we talked about, the Wolves and the Warriors kind of have these fixed superstars to work around and kind of plan around and that will change who they end up drafting. I do wonder if the Hornets are such a blank canvas that they can go in any direction. They could stay at three and just pick the third guy that the first two teams didn't pick and just go from there and just plug and play them in. They can also trade up. There's been some buzz about maybe they'll trade up to one. KOC had something in his mock draft that 
they want Wiseman, but he might not be there at three. And then you have this Russell Westbrook buzz. So like most years, they can do anything because they have nothing to really uh, prevent them from doing so. And that just makes them like completely fascinating. And as we've seen, Michael Jordan will just jump the line and just make the wild pick of just like someone who is successful in college. Yeah. And if you look at like to go at Rob was saying, like, Look at their top three picks in their or top four picks. It's Emeka Okafor, Adam Morrison, Mile Kid Gilchrist, Cody Zeller. That's your four top four picks in 20 years. Well, and look at who was taken like one spot above those guys or one spot after. You're missing Dwight Howard. You're missing Anthony Davis. You're missing, I think, like Brandon Roy, LaMarcus Aldridge. I can't remember who was the Adam Morrison draft. Um, you know, some like real legit players that could have done a lot of good for that franchise that has kind of languished. Morrison could have been a little bit better, I think. He injured his knee pretty brutally his first season, didn't he? I mean, I'm not saying he would have been a star. I always just have to jump in when people talk about Morrison. Well, I'm not even <laughs> saying these are all like catastrophic misses. They just didn't yeah. quite pan out. Totally. Yeah. And this is where like taking a safe pick that high, that there's a downside of it, right? When you're a franchise like that, sometimes you just got to go for the high upside pick because if you're Charlotte, either you're training for Russell Westbrook or you're getting someone 19 who might be able to be Russell Westbrook one day. No one in between. How is that disposition different from, let's say, Golden State keeps their pick? Should they have the same mentality in terms of, let's find our Kawhi Leonard to kind of extend the core of this team and next superstar, or do you play it safer? Do you play for an Emeka Okafor type in this type of draft where you want somebody who can at least contribute? That's a great question. And I think it just goes to... If you're going to do that, though, like, do you have the patience to actually draft the project there, right? But if you draft the project and, like, you're getting blasted in the media 12 months from now, right? Like, that's the thing. Like, yeah. to have the courage of your convictions to actually do that, that requires a lot of long-term commitment. I would say make the pick. This has kind of been the conversation about them for a while. And on the one hand, I think their hand has kind of been forced by the trades earlier this week. Just, like, there is no more Drew Holiday. Um, like, I don't know, some of these other guys they couldn't get in the mix for just seems like it, they'd be really forcing things and maybe not meeting the value of the number two overall pick. And like, when are you ever, if you're any team going to get this opportunity, we just talked about like what a crapshoot it is just to get into the top three of the draft. You were like one of the best teams of a generation. All of a sudden you get like the opportunity to lend bias the hell out of your franchise and like actually make it work. And so I don't know. I mean, just just make the pick. And like, how long... I don't know if we talked about this on a podcast or maybe this was just Sharks and I, but like, how long is Draymond Green going to be viable, especially at his number? Like, obviously, one of the best defenders in the league definitely makes that whole defense run, but like, that guy is not going to age well. And if you have the opportunity to take a, like a super toolsy big man who could really just like potentially bring your existing core to another level, but also you provi provide you a pathway out of like the Draymond Green era or even like Steph down the road. Like that seems like amazing. Like why are, why are we overthinking this is my question. That's where there is buzz about LaMelo Ball there now. Like oh, KFC God. has that in his mock. He says like the, the ownership Warriors? wants LaMelo. Yeah, <sighs> for that exact logic. Like thinking of five, 10 years down the road from now. Okay. It's not I crazy. I wouldn't go that far. Russell did work so well there. I could see why you want Ball, <laughs> yeah. a guy we just said was almost exactly like him, to plug in instead. Yeah, I wouldn't take it that far, but I would do it for Wiseman. Well, he, he fits, though, their system, right? LaMelo's a big guard. He can play multiple positions. He can rebound, right? They like to move the ball around. They like Stephen Clay to play off the ball. It's not crazy. Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe I've watched too much of this draft. 
This feels like the problem with this draft, though. It's like it's easy to talk yourself into a concept of what a team should do, and then you start talking about what players that would actually involve, and you start getting real squeamish really quickly. I like it from a skills development standpoint. I mean, it would be a good place for Lamelo's specific challenges to go, and but I don't know, man. Can you? It's it's a dicey thing. I, I yeah, I, I'm just I, I don't know. It, there's no real fit. I, I love Lamelo. That's kind of the thing. Like, don't just like take that as a drop. But like, I I love his game. But the, I just have so many questions about uh, his fit at places. He's one of the odder, like most talented players in a draft that I can remember. Honestly, like because when I just appraise his talent, I'm like, well, yeah, he's the best at these things, no question. But then you start looking at it, and a lot of people have said this to me. They're like, well, if he has these challenges, when was the last time a number one pick was like, yeah, you can't, we're not sure about his shooting and he can't guard anybody? The more I think about it, though, like Golden State wants <laughs> high IQ players. They want really right. good passers. They want bigger wings who can like move multiple positions. The metal does have a lot of size. Like their system is a weird system. I don't know. I'm starting to buy it. I'm starting to get on board this Lamelo to Golden State train. He's used to playing fast. That's one argument too. Is that like you can play fast? That's he's grown up. He's been conditioned to play that way. Uh, the question is just his efficiency. Once you know you get in the playoffs and you can't play fast like that all the time, and that's been something that's revealed a lot of his warts. Well, the player Charks just laid out. It sounds like Lamelo isn't the next Steph Curry. He's the next Andre Iguodala. He he is like the weird. <laughs> playmaking wing for this team somehow. Basically, if Andre couldn't guard, yeah. Mm. Yeah. See, I was going to say Sean Livingston, but I guess that would require him to guard as well. Well, to me, Halliburton makes the most sense for the Warriors, but, you know, are they would they want to pick him at two is the question. I don't know. I think he's a perfect fit for the Warriors. He makes the most sense for the Wolves, too, on skill set. It's just a matter yeah. of, do you take a guy who's not going to be a star that high, right? To go back to what we were just saying about swinging for the fences at the top of the draft. Yeah, this is how Anthony Bennett ends up getting drafted. Um, <laughs> this is exactly how that happens. Uh, are there any other teams as we're as we're going through here now that are super intriguing? Maybe not at the top of the draft, but maybe even the bulk, uh, the middle of this draft. I mean, to me, Chicago at four. That's where like everyone says the draft starts Chicago at four because there's a top three and there's a big drop off. They have a new front office. They have a lot of young players who may not fit that well together. It's kind of unclear. Not as many. As before, though, because <laughs> very uh, they, interesting week out of Chicago. What like what yeah, is happening there? They they so they got rid of Chris Dunn, who Haunted was Chris Dunn. Yeah, restricted free agent. He was would have been yeah would have been, and then also Shaq Harrison, who you know fringier player, more of a project, but you know certainly an interesting one. I think John Hollinger at the Athletic had him is like his most interesting free agent on the board. So. I'll tell you, tell you something. I, I kind of respect the balls of just being like, nah, like I didn't, I want none of this. On the other hand, it seems a bit odd to just move on without getting any sort of value in return, which leads me to wonder like what it means for draft night. Does it automatically mean like they're going to look at a playmaker? I mean, they need one, right? Yeah. Like they need a passer on that team. So it makes sense from that perspective. I mean, Denny makes a lot of sense there for them. I mean, I th I think that they they have a lot of tools that could be. I, I hate when people say this, but unlocked. I mean, they have a lot of guys that could really be elevated by another playmaker. Um, and and yeah, I think. I mean, I, I'm a big I'm a big pro Wendell Carter Jr. guy, and I I think that uh, he has a lot more upside than I think that than we have talked about, honestly. So the other team I want to mention just before we go here. The Celtics, who we referred to earlier as the prime example of why you don't aggregate picks. 
Uh, So they have three first-round draft picks. And as I mentioned, like they just don't have the roster spots, and I think they're up against the luxury tax. There was this Zach Lowe report just before we started recording here about how Gordon Hayward and the team have agreed to push back the deadline for when he has to either opt in or opt out of his final year of his contract, which leads me to believe that like there's something cooking or maybe they're waiting for something to or not or not to happen on draft night. I don't know, but clearly they're up to something. If only because Danny Ainge is only is always up to something. And most of the time, even if he isn't up to something, he'll tell us that he was up to something and it just didn't work out. Um, but they're definitely in a situation where they have all these guys and like, they need blue chip guys rather than just like B or C level guys. So I don't know if they could roll something together. It'd be super interesting. You know, what's funny time really is a flat circle. Cause they have three first round picks are trying to trade up for maybe these were the same picks in that justice window should never happened. I don't even know anymore, but like this would be a team. I would take those three picks and move up as high as I could go. Kyle, don't you feel like this is a Kongu team? Like, this is a guy exactly they need on their roster. Oh. Yeah, I mean, a, a Kongwu, I was, I was talking to somebody the other day. I mean, I, I don't think that... Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's the type of piece to... And this, this is something interesting, too, that I think works in a Kongwu's favor is that when people, people talk about... Like, he used to play at Chino Hills with the Ball Brothers back in the day, and they would... And you would... I was thinking about those teams, and I was like, man, they must have been really terrible, but they like won a lot. Like, if you go back, and they would beat really good high school teams, and one of the reasons for that was Okongwu was like at the back of that like rapid pace that they would play, and that's how they would get away with it is that he was such... Even as a younger kid, he was like a really strong defender positionally, and he's, to me, more of like... He kind of reminds me of Al Horford. Like, I, I think that he's just sort of a guy that you could shuttle in there. He's like... um, he's going to be ready to play earlier. Like, uh, can you imagine the draft nerds, how, how crazy they're going to go if like Grant Williams and a Kongwu are on the floor at the same time? <laughs> True. <laughs> Wait, Kyle, why would they have been a bad high school team? They had three lottery picks. I know, I know, about? I know. But like LA... <laughs> that doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, LA, you know, there's a lot of good teams out there. You just would watch the way they play. You'd be like, how does this work? But I mean, stylistically, a Kongwu is it's just... Uh, I, I guess I was trying to compliment him in some way that didn't quite work there but anyway jello yeah. was it was a team killer you know he was <laughs> what if jello shows up in the year in like a couple of years here as like a solid 3 and D wing and we just like totally underestimated him it's know. it's only a matter of time yeah. honestly it's gonna happen. I, mean, I think my big question here with with the celtics is like and just in general with any team that has a lot of these low round picks is like who wants to move down like I remember when the Kings moved out of the pick that ultimately became Zach Collins. I'm like, why do you do that? Why does a team that's rebuilding really need two bites at it's not the apple because an apple would be too good. An apple is like the first or second pick. This would be just like a, a browning plum or something like that. I don't know. But like it, it's just like Detroit, for instance. They're a team that I've heard, read, whatever, that w- might consider moving down. Like, why would you move out of a top 10 pick in order to just get, like, just these worse lottery tickets, I guess? Well, I think the Hayward thing makes it so that doesn't have to be the only case, right? Like, you could do Hayward and one of the one or two of these picks for a player on a longer-term contract on another team. You know, Gordon gets everything he wants. He gets his millions of dollars. He gets a situation where he gets to play more. And maybe the Celtics get a little of what they want, too, in terms of somebody who fits their core a little bit more smoothly. Not that Hayward doesn't, but clearly he isn't getting everything he wants out of that situation. And that's when we were talking about Atlanta, I think, last week. That makes a ton of sense. Atlanta at six. But all, maybe that kind of... Sharks is seeing the board. 
he he's he's got the whole uh all the pieces are coming into place justin <laughs> all the pieces matter it's a lot of kelly Oubre photos and and <laughs> wings who can't shoot which by the way they made him high, they made a model who's new jersey and they traded him the next day it's a cold world out there man the nba <laughs> i'm counting true. all the Oubre slights all right on that note uh i already made a bad metaphor so i think this is time to wrap it up uh kyle thank you for joining us my pleasure thanks for having me if you're looking for more draft content, uh, we've got a bunch of it on The Ringer on Wednesday night. So uh, The Ringer's pre-draft show is going to be live streaming on Twitter and all those sorts of platforms that the youngins like. Uh, KOC is going to be with Ryan Rosillo before the show. And then there's going to be a post-draft show that I believe is going to happen sometime around the end of the first round. That's going to have Ryan, KOC, and Bill. Uh, those will all be on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. And then the next morning thursday morning if we're keeping track here uh you can catch charks koc and j kyle Mann talk about the draft and everything else that falls out of wednesday night uh, until then we will see you next time 